Make sure you head to congress.com slash podcast to check out all the links and videos and pics from today's episode. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Stitcher, and Google Play. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Front Lounge with Congos. Today, we have a very special guest her name is Charlene Kay. We actually went to high school with her um, about 20 years ago. <laughs> no, about no, like five years ago, right? Yeah, five or 10 years ago. Um, and we ran track and field together. And then she went on to be a singer-songwriter, an artist in her own right. She worked with um, bands like San Furman, Starkid, Darren Chris. She's put out a number of her own EPs and albums. And recently she did a very funny parody of a Taylor Swift song, which we'll be talking about and we'll post a link to as well. And we'll get into that. So I guess we'll just jump right in with segment one, breaking news. What have we been up to? Charlene, welcome to the front lounge. Guys, I love you all so much. And thank you for having me. I mean, I'm honored to be one of your first guests on this podcast that is going to soon take over the world. Um, yeah, don't be too honored yet. You know, we ha- I'm, we're trying to get up the charts here, get a lot of people listening to this. We're but top thirty on the music. When I checked, this is probably weeks ago. By the time this, so that's airs, at least twelve downloads. I yeah, think. nice. <laughs> Just right. count that paper. <laughs> <laughs> so, what have you been up to? Why? Are you, first of all, why are you in LA? <laughs> um, you know, I I came out here, and you just I just wanted to be out of the cold in New York, and. I have tons of friends out here, and I felt like it was a good time to explore and see if I might even enjoy living here. And so I'm doing a lot of research, doing a lot of self-exploration. Went to the observatory today, thought about life. The self-observatory at Griffith Park. Deep. The selfie observatory? (laughs) It certainly seems that way when you're there. Yes, You can't find a person not just looking at themselves with trying to get Hollywood sign in the background. I like like the fact that there's all this sort of ancient um, symbology, you know, and the archetypes and stuff and all the the architecture there. There's crazy astrological stuff going on. It's a lot of interesting stuff and everyone's just selfing, you know. Mm-hmm. With Saturn and Mars and all these, I I always yeah. try to take a picture of someone sitting right next to the orbit of Uranus. <laughs> nice, dude. Because <laughs> they have all the orbits of the there. planets mapped out. <laughs> yeah, there's also like randomly a bust of James Dean. That's oh, I've never seen that movie film. I remember, I've read this bit up there. Mm. It's the first movie where they used Griffith Observatory. There's a big fight scene with James Dean in Rebel. But they Dark also Cause. didn't make oh. it. Yeah, they didn't make it out to be something other than what it was. Like they'd use. They'd used the property before, but they'd always pretended it was something else. Nice. And this was the first one that promoted it as like an observatory. Mm-hmm. And they actually made a shitload of discoveries before the smog, before the L.A. smog. Gotcha. <laughs> so you've been living in New York, though, for the last how many years? Because you're originally for seven from... Years. What? Born in Hawaii. Raised in Arizona. Raised in Arizona. And, and then, then I went to University of Michigan. Then I caravaned out to New York with a bunch of musician friends. And we got a practice space before getting an apartment, as that works. <laughs> So, oh, would really? you live there for temporarily, or <laughs> I didn't live in the practice space, but I do know a friend of a friend who lives in his drum practice space, Jeez. which is fucked up. He has like a a loft. He sleeps in the loft. He practices in the practice space, and then he just showers at the local Y. So he rolls out onto his drum throne. Yeah, out of bed. Yeah, yeah. But he's a no... drummer. He's not showering that often. <laughs> no, but there are no windows, and the practice space is probably as big as this couch. 
So it gets, I'm sure it gets really weird. I don't think I love drums enough to do that. I'd just rather not practice. Well, this guy was paying like two or $300 a month. So he loved, he loved that enough. Living in the city. Yeah. (laughs) Sleeping bags and paradiddles. That's a, that sounds like the name of his album. (laughs) Sleeping bags and paradiddles. So over the next hour, we'll get to know Charlene and her um, body of work. This is going to be like a, who's that interviewer? Famous James Lipton yeah. <laughs> inside the actor studio. I was thinking more of uh, Barbara Walters or something oh, like that. Oh, Terry Gross. <laughs> yeah, any one of those. But uh, anyone else been up to anything recently? Interesting. I broke my computer, and that's it. Usually happens whenever I get an idea. <laughs> Danny said it to me the other day that he did something, installed or uninstalled some piece of software and broke his computer and we all thought he was full of shit. And then I walked into his little uh, project studio today and he, he they, it's gone. It's, it's completely bricked. He must have our mom's genetics because she mm. can step within the vicinity of anything electronic and it just starts failing. Oh, you're, are your parents like that? I just feel like it's a, everyone's parents are like that, always the generation before that you feel so frustrated trying to explain things to them. Yeah, I had to teach a relative how to scroll once. <laughs> it wasn't the best. But my mom, my mom and stepdad are pretty tech savvy. They both huh. have, <clears throat> they both have iPhones. Um, it is really Apple Music. Um, shout out Apple. The iTunes um, library is kind of hard to sync to your computer sometimes. I mean, to sync to uh, your phone sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So I, th- I have trouble with that too. Yeah. It's Apple's master plan of moving people into the cloud. I do feel like they make, they make a lot of things frustrating. And it's like everything on the iPhone. You can't back it up easily. Um, and right. then, you know, or you, you accidentally delete like a message history or something and you can't undo it. So now you're like, oh, did you back up to the cloud? No, oh, too bad. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm going to start backing up to the cloud and putting my entire life in the ether. Yes. Yeah, I do We're, instantly. I used to resist... Uh, fingerprint you know stuff or whatever and now i just instantly accept (laughs) share my location with every app i don't give a shit we're just sheeple all of us we give our dad a hard time about like technical things but the real truth of the matter is i mean he's we have a computer graveyard (laughs) of i mean he's been kind of at the forefront of computer music and that sort of thing we should put that clip up where he's talking about his getting a the oh yeah light. on the on the French on French TV is that what you're talking about no the, no, the, no, the no, home the video home where where he's saying I got a new computer and you're like four and you say another one <laughs> and he says yeah. yeah maybe this one will make us some money though <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that sounds like us <laughs> speaking of money I've been getting really into cryptos lately What's I'm that? trying to gather uh, crypto fans and friends so they can advise me on how to invest uh, life savings into cryptocurrencies. cryptocurrencies. Oh, like Bitcoin and that's what that is. Ethereum, uh-huh. Litecoin, yeah. all those. Mm. Um, it just kind of shows how n- new a concept it is, like in terms of just general public, because it's like Charlene's young and hip and with it. <laughs> but, you know, if, are, do you know what it is or have you messed around with any cryptocurrencies? I mean, I've heard of, I've heard of Bitcoin. But I don't know anything about it. I don't know. I didn't even know what Cryptos was. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like like a big dog album. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to bring that up. That's not. Thank you. Thanks for keeping us up. If you try to explain 
their entire podcast dedicated to cryptocurrencies yeah. and and uh, I don't think we could do it justice. It's very complicated, but it's like digital money. And right. uh, if anyone sends me a Bitcoin, I'll send you a thousand dollars. I mean that literally. That could change by the time this comes out. Um, yeah, it's it's not worth getting into. I don't think. Just if you're interested in this shit, you're not listening to this. <laughs> Are they interested in our um, discussion about potatoes that we had the other day? What, uh, what uh, I'm interested. Remember, I came in, and you'd been cooking potatoes like all week. Me? Yeah, and I asked oh, you, right. and I asked you if you just listened to the Joe Rogan podcast because there was a guy on there talking about how potatoes, if you heat them up and cool them down, they create this resistant starch or whatever, and it's good for you because your the enzymes in your gut don't break it down and turn it into glucose. And so I asked you with this big preamble of why you, why you've been cooking potatoes all week, and your answer was. No, I just bought this synth, and I've been trying to save money. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, well, because Costco is, like, you know, pretty scary sometimes. You see the price of... It was 20 pounds of potatoes for 10 bucks. (laughs) I couldn't turn it down. Dylan and Danny are my rice dealers. (laughs) When I need rice, I just come over here and, uh, you know, take five pounds, and they cut me a pretty decent deal. (laughs) They're the purveyors of well, let's grain. talk about cooking potatoes because it's a, it's kind of an art, you know. Mick, our tour manager, who, he's, he's kind of we bring him up a lot on this podcast. Mick is actually Scottish, even though his name's Mick, um, but he loves potatoes and he loves the different ways that you, he, if you get him drunk and ask him about potatoes, two hours later he'll be telling <laughs> you about how you know certain French fries you go to double fry and the temperature has to be this and that and. And uh, but he's, he's exactly he's, the sound he makes. He makes oh yeah, <laughs> he's almost as obsessed with potatoes as he is with microphones and engineering and stuff. But I'll tell you how I've been making my potatoes lately. Wow. Okay, tell us. Okay, so you got to get the coconut oil that has been triple filtered, so there's no coconut flavor. Oh man. So it's just an it's a, it's a tasteless oil, but it's really really good for cooking. You cut a potato in half. You put some coconut oil on a pan, an oven pan, and salt. You place the potatoes face down in the salt and the oil, and then you add more oil and salt on top. Cook them at hot, like 500 degrees. 20, 30 minutes later, mind is blown. What's your favorite? Everyone, what's your favorite type of potato? Like how? Would, oh, man. What is your preference? I, I'm just I'm not I'm just spit spitballing here, but Vodka. I really enjoy mashed potatoes with a lot of butter. Mm. Okay. And maybe even some parsley and garlic. You and Dylan would get along. Yep, butter and mashed potatoes, you can't go wrong with that. Mm -hmm. That's what we were doing on tour. The last time we were on tour, I bought this rice cooker. And you can put a potato in there with like fill, you know, a little, like an inch of water, and then Mm -hmm. you set it on a grate. About 25 minutes, you can cook a (gasps) basically, it's a boiled, not like a steamed potato, but it turns into a mashed potato. And it's so nice on the road having just simple, healthy, hearty meals. As I know we'll get into this later, we're going to talk a lot about touring on a budget mm-hmm. and we will get into that and that's it's only you can only eat subway so many times before you hate yourself yeah well that was a yeah i mean we might as well talk about that a little bit i remember there was a distinct point i remember talking to you a few years ago where you were either just coming out of university or you just moved to new york and i can't remember what it was but you texted us or we had a phone call or whatever and you're like i'm going completely music only as my uh mm-hmm source of income and mm-hmm. what was what was the thing that just changed from you know pursuing it on the side and trying to 
make a living otherwise and then turning into you know a career um honestly it was teaching lessons and because that was music related I felt like it was still fulfilling to you know my creativity and it was nice to be like in a community of people that were just learning and and before that I was I was waiting tables for two years and in that I mentioned earlier that I moved to New York from Michigan with a bunch of musician friends, got this practice space, I was waiting tables, and I'm really glad that I did that because it was definitely an integral part of my growth as a a musician and as a New Yorker, but when I began teaching lessons, there was, it opened me up to such a more flexible schedule and I was able to work when I wanted to and then like set aside time for music in a way that I wasn't really able to before, and um, You also recorded a song, right, with... There, I remember you saying that you were, you know, you were getting enough also from iTunes because you were still oh, that's right. completely independent at the time. And you started yeah, seeing, you know, and so royalty checks. <laughs> I didn't realize that you wanted to, yeah, that you wanted to talk about that as well. Yeah, so um, I recorded this duet with Darren Chris, and it was called Dress and Tie, and um, that was like the first song that I did that I saw a chart on iTunes, and I remember I was sitting in this like coffee shop and I just started screaming like seeing that it was like getting higher and higher and it was it was super it was a super cool moment and um yeah that that was that definitely like gave me the confidence to like continue on with what I was doing creatively and to keep pushing even though you know you know being an independent musician is just so it's such it's it it's just so easy to like make a lot of money at first (laughs) and so you have to oh I think well that obviously the that's a rare uh, class that you get into when money becomes no issue for music. But I think that we had a similar experience. I can't remember what was it was for us. Maybe that um, maybe that bowl thing we talked about. Where we basically realized, oh, we're not fucking crazy like those people on American Idol who think they're <laughs> making something good, but you know the rest of the world just has a completely different opinion. Yeah, it's As, still you can long... be the most integrity-based person on earth. You still need that little bit of external validation just so you don't lose your marbles it's still a long place from that where you get some validation and think okay i'm not the crazy person to where like what charlene's talking about is where you actually make a decision like this is going to be my source of income you yeah know? i like, think like, i was listening to i forget is, who i was listening to is, some comedians podcast and they were talking like that was literally their only goal at their only initial goal they weren't even thinking like oh i'm going to play madison square garden they're like I want to not have to work a day job mm-hmm. and just make money from this as a goal. Yeah. What were and, you oh, go sorry. ahead. What were you teaching? Guitar, right? I was just teaching private lessons. So guitar, voice and songwriting. Oh okay. And some piano. Yeah. I didn't well, know there was songwriting as well. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's come back to this because I think we can really get into like the early days of touring and like kind of carry on with that conversation but let's talk about just music for now and something uh, Dylan sent us this link yes and I wasn't even aware of this I sent it oh Jesse sent it sorry (laughs) (laughs) this Uh, is a very important news item for me so yeah so ECM Records which is a record company that's put out I don't know hundreds of our favorite records mostly jazz and classical and experimental stuff finally announced that they are putting their entire catalog onto streaming services and it's been you know when did apple music and spotify really get going it's been years like five six years that we've been, been waiting and that you know it's been it's a massive deal for people that are into this music because there's such a kind of uh, i don't know standout label in this kind of music 
Yeah. They uh, they were the lost holdouts, I think. I still can't find uh, Compsat Angels on streaming. <laughs> what is that? It's that, that song from Real Genius Falling. Yeah. <laughs> but but ECM was the last. I think they were the most resistant to to digital to you know. Well, they're kind of a niche label because even though they've had some massive albums and massive artists on it, for the most part, I, I imagine most of their albums and releases are like lost leaders. That you know they're they're not one of the majors um, putting out pop records. They're putting out pretty obscure stuff. Yeah, but they've got a hardcore. Everybody who's who's into ECM. So in, like they're in, that's one of the few times uh, other people get into like old Atlantic periods. So we're or talking whatever. about Keith Jarrett, Arbor Park. Uh, Keith Jarrett is probably the biggest artist on there. So I mean, yeah, he must be by sales. I, he I has he has one of the biggest jazz albums of all time, uh, "The Melody at Night with You," which was just a bunch of songs, old American standards that he recorded on his piano because he had chronic fatigue syndrome for several years and he just sat in his kind of bedroom and recorded these songs and went on to become one of the biggest selling jazz albums. And I think the number is like maybe a million, you know, (laughs) which is tiny relative to what the biggest selling albums of all time are. Mm. Well, now that it's available, you guys should check it out. Um, you probably won't hear the influence in our music at all because it's you know it's not commercial music really. But um, Keith Jarrett Trio, my favorite drummer of all time, is in the Keith Jarrett Trio. His name's Jack DeJanet, and I just I wanted to be a jazz drummer, and I'd listened to him and emulated him from from the age of about sixteen to twenty twenty one, and uh, I still I still love his playing, although it doesn't you know. It doesn't really come out as much in this rock band of ours, but my favorite guitar player, Avra Part, is also on that label. <laughs> You'll definitely hear the influence of Avra Part that he's had on the world, even though he didn't write his music for movie scores and uh, syncs. He does get a lot of those, but also every composer tries to imitate him now for any dramatic scene in a movie mm. um, that in, you know that involves strings or. A choral part or something like that. They're all so influenced by now uh, by our part. I think D- Dylan said to me earlier because we were listening to some uh, Keith Jarrett trio recording that I'd not heard before, and it was blowing our fucking mind. And we'll throw a link up to it. And it was like this just reminded, like, oh, this is what real musicians sound like <laughs> because you spend your life as we do in the kind of alternative popular music world and you kind of start saying like oh i saw this band the other day at some bar or or theater in la and like they were really good and yeah they were good and then you just occasionally come back to this and just think oh there's a whole different like universe well what do you think of of that balance that you try and strike Charlie? because we know you can play the shit out of a guitar you know it's you can i've seen you shred on any different number of styles um, but you know a lot of your songwriting you know it's it's a little more on the pop vein it's it's you know it's commercial um and I, I can always hear you trying to put your musicality into it how do you how do you c- confront that when you're making a record or writing a song how do you try and balance your inclination to do something a little more technical or a little more dude i think about that all the time because i love really athletic guitar playing and that's a lot of i i listen to a lot of that really kind of shreddy um mathy music if that makes sense like i love battles i love saint vincent i love like um 
excuse me. Um, I love Matt Bellamy's playing in Muse. Like the really aggressive, nasty tone is something that I really like intuitively resonate with. You know everything, everything. No. Okay. I'll I'll check them out though. And so I get a lot of release and a lot of joy from playing in that style, but I also know that in the past I've put that above the actual song and it's been this new chapter in my writing has been a real challenge to not touch the guitar until the actual song is written. And so I've been challenging myself to just write a song on the piano and let, let it be that first before I embellish it. And it's really hard for me because I also produce my stuff and I, I feel like it's easy for me to use sounds as a crutch when the song itself isn't exciting me. And I think it's totally valid to have textures and ambiance be a, as much a part of the song as the lyrics or a melody. And not every song has to be autobiographical or like narrative based. And, but now I think I'm, maybe it's that I've been listening to more really great pop music that I love, but it's been a, it's been more challenging than I thought to just write a song that I can play on an acoustic guitar or a piano because I don't historically like playing solo. I really get a lot of joy from playing with people and the energy and the connection that comes from playing in a live band setting. And, but it's not out of your wheelhouse because I mean the first the first recordings of yours that I heard, which what, no like one will ever ten, hear. No, Find the link song. How, how many oh, years no. ago was it? Ten, twelve years Don't ago. Don't link it in the podcast. Um, they were they were more they were kind of sing, more a little more singer songwriter. Yeah. So you can do it. Um, well, you have another outlet for your shredding as well, which I think is worth bringing up. Charlene is in an all female. Guns N' Roses cover band called Guns N' Hoses where she plays lead guitar as Slash Gash oh. Slash my, my alter ego is named Gash yeah. <laughs> Axl Rose is Axl Hose um, Duff McKagan is Muff McKagan uh, Izzy Stradlin is Lizzie Stradling and uh, Stephen Adler is Stephanie Adler <laughs> and you, you guys met uh, Slash recently right you guys were in a rehearsal yes space? Yeah, so this was crazy. It was 2013, so this was four years ago, and we had a gig at the Viper Room, and we were we just happened to because LA is LA. We just happened to be rehearsing next door to Kings of Chaos, which is everybody in Guns N' Roses except for Axel, because Axel and Slash weren't talking at the time, and they hadn't decided to get back together and make a million dollars a show on their reunion <laughs> tour. And, Tough decision. And so we were rehearsing and we just like heard through the door Slash's undeniable wah tone and we all pressed our faces up against the door and we were like you guys it's them it's definitely them and we asked the the guy who was running the rehearsal space if, they, if he could please just let them know that there was an all-girl Guns N' Roses cover band rehearsing right next door and the guy was just like this like twerpy 16 year old kid like smacking his gum and he was just like not if I want to keep my job. <laughs> and we were like, oh, God, please. And so we put us, we took some, we took a piece of paper and we wrote on the piece of paper, Guns and Hoses rehearses here, all are welcome. And we taped it to our door. And then we just opened our door the whole way and blasted our amps as we were playing. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so crazy because we were playing Sweet Child of Mine and I was like, oh, God, I really hope they don't hear he doesn't hear me do this solo because like no matter how confident I feel about it is obviously not the way that he would play it and right before the solo 
the door opens even more and they're all just standing in the doorway. And Duff is like, I know these songs. And he came in and he was like, you girls sound like our mirror. And they were so nice. And like, everyone got like a picture with their doppelganger. So Mia and... Were you guys dressed up like in all your... No, uh, no. It's a shame that we weren't because if they could have seen the full glorious picture, I'm sure it would have been such a spectacle to take pictures with them like that. The LA rehearsal space thing is kind of funny like that. We haven't spent a lot of times in like kind of public or rentable uh, rehearsal space but when we were getting ready for our tour last year doing production rehearsals we were there and who was rehearsing next was uh dweezil zappa dweezil zappa was there and then Kiefer Sutherland Sutherland was rehearsing with his band in between like filming I don't know whatever 24 but it's like you just that's a, such a common thing here. You obviously, do it long enough, you'll rehearse yeah. next to Russell Crowe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there aren't too many Kiefer all girl Kiefer Th- Sutherland <laughs> cover bands. Though. Well, guys, I think you've just found. I've got your the. New I, know the I know what the name. I know what the name for. Something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just so rich. There's so much material. <laughs> Why don't we get back to talking about the music business a little bit? You don't want to talk about Guns and Hoses for the next hour? <laughs> no, we're gonna throw up all the links. And- <laughs> We I, we don't have any, but we could threaten to throw up some of the early things just to no. just because we know people don't like hearing their early <laughs> stuff, even if you, we think it's good. We've got a couple of records like that where we'll murder you if you try to play it publicly. Um, so, we, music business. We wanted to talk about like touring on on the cheap because mm-hmm. uh, I know you've done a ton of that, and you've probably seen also various sides of touring. Well, we you've toured with some bigger bands. And, we, we um, how long ago was it? We we opened for you on a little tour. Many that blows years. my mind. I think it was twenty twelve. So maybe five years ago. It doesn't. That doesn't seem like that long ago. But it was definitely a different era for you guys because this that was before you guys really blew. Well, up. I think it was even was earlier like, than that. I think it was like. 2011, 2010 or something. Really? Yeah, yeah. Maybe. No, it was, I'll tell you when. Well, Let's check with the research department. Several um, of them. We played at the Mint in LA with. That's right. That was 2011. For wow. Sure. Okay. Okay, well, six years ago. Yeah, it's not that long ago, but. Um, we, so, I mean, you, your band had a van, we had a van, and we kind of went around a little bit around the country. It wasn't a super long tour, but. Um, we talked about van touring on one of these other podcasts, but maybe let's talk about that. How do you, how do you budget a tour? How do you think about that? You know, say you saved up money for whatever so that you can make this happen for a few weeks. Are there key thoughts or lessons that kind of you learned doing that? Yes. Um, well, I will say that it is expensive unless you know, how much you're going to really be drawing in each city to balance your budget. So you need to have, I mean, it's not, I feel like in Europe there's more, there's more of like a guarantee situation at venues that you play, but in, Mm -hmm. in America there, you have that, but you also, when you're starting out at like the smaller clubs, you typically get a door deal. And so it doesn't really make sense to tour unless you know that you're going to be pulling a certain amount. Um, and, to be honest, I haven't. I went on a small tour on my own last year, but it was the first solo tour that I'd really done since 2013. And even back in 2011, when we were playing, I was coming off of these big tours with Star Kid, who is a musical theater. I don't know if we're going to get into this, but I'll just yeah, as a yeah. as a brief, you know, um, overture. It's there. 
Starkid is a, a musical theater company made up of friends of mine from Michigan who got well known because they created a three hour parody musical of Harry Potter, which <laughs> condensed the plot of all seven books and it went viral. So they had this theater company that they parlayed into more and more parody musicals that did pretty well and had a sizable online following. So I opened for them and played guitar for them on several tours that they did. And that was that's one of the biggest reasons that I have an online following today is because of those tours and the people that found out about my music through those tours, which those are bus tours, right? Yes, they were bus tours. There was like, we were the venues that we were playing were it was a live nation tour. So there were all the venues were like 1000 to like 3000 capacity rooms. And so I was like riding a wave of Mm -hmm. that tour. And so I knew that there were going to be people that had come to see me in star kid to come on that tour. And that was when you guys joined yeah, me, right? At the yeah. Mint and stuff like that. Yeah. We did like a short West Coast tour. And so, you know, like you have some, when you when you like talk to the venues and stuff like that, you have some idea of how much you're going to be making and whether or not you can balance your books. And it also helped that I had a very, very small band for that tour. It was just mm-hmm. me and then two other people. It was Megan and Dave. Yeah. And you have to kind of, you have to make sure that your band is happy first and foremost but granted like we were all just starting out back then and so Megan and Dave has especially Dave has since gone on to be a very in demand touring drummer mm-hmm. and he can ask for much more <laughs> than what I was paying him back then and the three of us were like so green like we got one hotel room we sometimes we would all just share a bed and Dave would sleep at the foot of the bed and just curl <laughs> up like a little dog well, so I mean Dave you're talking about Dave uh, Scalia Dave Scalia yes and who's he playing with now he's playing with El King yeah so he's gone we, we bumped into, into him in Chicago at yeah. a, I didn't uh, recognize him yeah yeah. yeah, his hair's longer. He's a cool he's, guy now. Yeah, he's super. <laughs> <laughs> he's well known for his behind the kit um, photos, like yeah, panoramas yeah. in stadiums or arenas or whatever. <laughs> Got to do it for the gram. Okay, so you guys <laughs> got to get those calls. I mean, you would crash on friends' couches and or get Absolutely. hotel rooms, all that sort of yep. thing. Like, yep. Yeah, we. Who did we, most of the driving? It was just we the would three all of you, or did it. you have anyone else? It was just literally the three of you. It was just the three of us at that time. Huh. Of course, like as the as time went on, um, the tour in 2013, there were eight of us, and so we all split the driving pretty equally. And with San Fermin, we all split the driving pretty equally. So you don't really end up driving that much in a band that big, right? So yeah. it's sort of manageable. Yeah, unless you're Johnny Johnny Congos here, star driver who did. Do you 80%, like driving? He did. 80%. I just hate not driving <laughs> because I I don't know. I just get sick sitting in the back of the van, oh, so I would dr- just drive all of it. I remember we drove once from Brooklyn. We played some showcase at CMJ at some bar in like the Lower East Side and drove back to Phoenix in three days. What? <laughs> from Brooklyn. You guys are well, not from crazy. Brooklyn, from, uh, uh, from Manhattan. But uh, yeah, that was fun. We drove from Portland to LA. You know, that's like 16, 18 hours or yeah, something like that just, in one go. We would, we would, I don't know. Those days we just had a lot of Red Bull. <laughs> and uh, coffee. It gives you wings. And, yeah. <laughs> it gives you something. <laughs> um, do you want to move on to something else? Yeah. yeah. We talk I, about music business enough as it is. Oh, no, no. We had, there was one actually interesting thing. Dylan had mentioned that he was reading some article, that you, an interview that you had done, saying that obviously like in the rock and roll world, there's not a lot of Asian Americans that you typically think of as like oh an icon so 
you want to just tell us about who you kind of looked up to and who was an inspiration to you growing up and getting into the music business? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have very many role models growing up because I didn't see anybody who looked like me in on MTV, which I watched all the time or even in movies. And I thought about, I think about this constantly because especially now that we're in a, we're in a place culturally and politically where there's so much xenophobia and there's so much fear towards people who don't look like us or think or pray like us. And when, you know, something that really started to resonate with me was when I started touring with San Fermin and we would go to certain parts of the country where I would get a lot of comments about my ethnicity. And I never thought twice about it until I started to realize like, you don't really see very many Asian American rock singers or singers in general. Like I just saw that this Chinese singer, Chris Wu is the first Chinese artist to hit, to reach number one on the billboard charts. Huh. The first Chinese artist, which is crazy. Granted, he's not, he's not Asian American. He's Chinese and he okay. collaborate. He has this collaboration with Travis Scott. So that certainly helps too. But, um, you know, it was intimidating for me to commit to just making music full time and to have the conviction that I could, that this was a feasible career for me because it's so, you know, if you're like a, if, if you want to act or something, you like think about what roles you can, you can play on TV or on in the movies and stuff like that. And you map yourself onto other people based on what you think your skills are. And so really the only person that I had that like resembled me, that was a fucking badass was Tia Carrera from Wayne's world. <laughs> she was so hot. She, she could really wail. And yeah, she could, she could wail. She could play bass. She could play uh, guitars and she was so unabashedly sexy and that didn't interfere at all with like her stage presence, but she's not a real person. Right. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't exist in the real world. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that she existed in, Wayne's a very world, visible man. in Wayne's world, <laughs> in his world, in a very visible space. But as a result, as I was growing up, that was all I got compared to. And I was like, you ever, you ever seen the movie Wayne's World? I'm like, yes, yes, I know exactly what you're going to say. But we were in Boulder. Oh my God, there's so many stories. I'll just, I'll tell you one and you can hear more if you want. Um, we were in Boulder and we had just played this show with a, with a full orchestra and there was an after party at a bar next door. And uh, the, the whole band was at the after party and we were just, we were just kind of like talking to people and I was at the bar and this guy comes up to me and he was like, oh my God, you're, you're the singer, right? Like, I just, I just saw you. I was like, yep, I just sang. He's like, and he grabs both of my hands. He's like, are you, are you Chinese? I'm like, yeah, my parents are Chinese, but I was born in America and I, I consider myself American. And he was just like, oh, and he grabs both my hands. He's like, I just want you to know that you bring great honor and glory to your people. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. And it was like, I, I honestly, I was just quiet because I didn't know what to say. I didn't know if I should be like, oh, so you've seen Mulan or, or call him out on that. It didn't seem like appropriate to be rude because I just met him and he was like, genuinely trying to give me a compliment uh -huh. but it, where was it what oh uh, boulder you said yeah. boulder yeah okay but it was so jarring so <laughs> i mean it's possible yeah but it's so jarring and like people frequently assume that i'm the violin player of the band <laughs> they just and our violin player is white like there's she usually carries the violin Russian? case I, huh i'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> i think it uh i think it kind of you know, it's not exactly related, but we were talking about it the other day, this idea that people seem to have a very hard time listening to something or judging something other than associatively, like, oh, this reminds me of this or something else, you know, instead of 
just allowing the actual um, music to fall on you, or you know whatever whatever you're taking in, whether it's a movie or music or whatever. And uh, I mean that that association. How how do you break that? I mean, I get I guess it's hard to break that. Um, well, especially when it's visual things. I think people people mostly look at music, like they don't. It's rare that you people just listen. With yeah, it would be yeah. very interesting to see charts if people were only allowed to listen to something you weren't told who it was mm. and you weren't allowed to watch any music videos associated with it because it obviously would have effects on both sides of it. You'd probably have all different kinds of music show up and then you'd see who really stood out purely just on music, not just on whatever is either popular or what people don't like about seeing someone or other. Mm-hmm. So we should no, we're just do a concert creatures. with a big blanket in front of us and... Then we wouldn't be able to rely on our devilishly good looks. <laughs> um, How about we put a blanket in front of you? <laughs> oh. like, blanket in front of the accordion player and Congress well, is done. Fortunately for all of our listeners out there, there's a blanket over all of us because you can't see us talking right now. <laughs> That's what I like about this podcast is this is I don't I don't ever want to do video. You know, you can this. guess who's the most attractive person. <laughs> uh, let's. Let's talk about member berries. Member berries. Oh yeah. So this is part what? of the member berries is the segment of the show that we we reminisce. It's from the South Park thing where they're the little berries that go. Remember, remember when? Remember when? And they just <laughs> they just allow everyone to kind of drift into this dream of nostalgia uh-huh. and everything. So we're gonna do a member berry. Um, I, I you can you can tell us about any you know memory that you fond memory you have or on fond memory you have of us or any touring experience Ooh. you've had. But I've got one in particular which is definitely related to this to that last tour we were talking about, which is when we were opening for you and we played our set. There's a song in the set called "It's a Good Life," <clears throat> and one of the lyrics is, um, "Oh, we all have had those dreams," and I remember. Finishing the show and having Dave, Dave Scalia, the guy we were just talking about, who's now playing for L. King, um, we were loading up the time. You what? Charlene's drummer at the time. Yeah, Charlene's drummer at the time. We were loading up the uh, van with all the gear, and Dave comes up to me and he says, "Man, you guys sounded great." And it, you know, initially, right off the bat, I was like, "Okay, this guy's bullshitting me. He's doing the you know <laughs> the normal thing that you do to openers or to headliners when you're playing gigs with them, which is just like even if you didn't watch the show, you're like, oh, Yo, you guys sounded great.' I thought that's what he was doing." And so I, for some reason, I just wanted to kind of call him out on it. So I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, what, you know, you got any other, um, anything else to say, basically? He said that he thought some of the songs were, uh, really had a shot. I said, oh, yeah, like, what, what songs do you think have a shot? And he goes, um, uh, uh, Fat Girl's Dreams? <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know what to say, because I'm staring at him, and he's, saying that our song Fat Girl's Dreams has a shot at being a big song and I was like now this guy's really full of shit so I tried to get him to elaborate and eventually he sang the song back to me and he goes you know the song where the chorus goes oh we all have Fat Girl's Dreams <laughs> so and good so he wasn't bullshitting. You really thought that song had a shot but he just thought it was called Fat Girl's Dreams such commercial appeal so I will was he Maybe envisioning you some tr- sort of queen type? I had no idea. So yeah, so like. that turned into a whole thing. For the next few years, Charlene and Megan ju- would send us videos of them <laughs> doing music videos for our song, but they changed it to Fat Girl's Dreams. You guys wrote verses for it. Oh, like, we wrote it. We made it all about food. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
maybe you can ask Megan if she'd be cool and if you're cool and you can totally say no about us posting that video oh Let yeah totally because uh, it. it's pretty fucking funny <laughs> um, now your listeners can hear the full you know narrative that we wrote around the 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 idea well, having wrote that song, I'm starting to second guess my original lyrics. I think it might have had a better shot if I'd gone with <laughs> Fat Girl's Dreams. Chicken in a bucket. Sometimes you just want chicken in a bucket. <laughs> this is definitely the original lyric is sometimes you just want to say fuck it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, was, I mean, I don't know how you can top that story. So yeah, yeah we'll just, really let's just move on. Left me in the dust. We're going to talk about uh, our favorite gear of the week. We should do we should do two items. One this yeah. one and Charlene must have a favorite piece yeah, of gear. Yeah, we'll talk about this piece of gear and if there's something you have really fallen in love with lately, a pedal or whatever anything, you can do that. So we're going to talk about the uh radial SW8 <laughs> eight channel auto switcher. This is the most boring. This is the most boring <laughs> one. It's super boring because it doesn't change the sound of anything it doesn't do anything exciting but what it does is on my keyboard sounds we i run them off of a computer and like all the sounds that i play on my keyboard or come out of soft synths or samples and that and we have two computers because uh you need a backup because laptops are always going down and basically what this allows you to do is it has an auto switcher that if the first computer shits the bed it auto switches to the first one and the second one sorry to the sorry to the second one and We've had very few occasions where we've had to do this, but in those occasions, it was it's a true lifesaver. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not very exciting. It's not very sexy, but it allows you to take eight channels of audio and double them so that in the event that, like Johnny said, the first one craps out, it has a signal that it's listening to. And if that loses that signal, then it switches to the other one. And, and you have our music on stage will continue. And nobody will know anything except us. It will just be, you know, unless you complaining see me, in our heads that something went wrong, even though nobody knows about yeah, it. If you see me on the side of the stage waving my hands furiously, looking at the monitor engineer, uh, Garen, then that's probably, I'm probably telling him that it needs to be switched. If, it did, if the automatic switch didn't happen, you can manually switch it. So I'm just waving, saying, switch it, switch it. Well, what? that is the most practical thing we've ever talked about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, what, Charlene, you got any pick favorite a, pieces of gear? Uh, yeah, I mean, I gotta say, I've had one favorite pedal for the last several years, and it is the Zvex Fuzz Factory pedal. Have you guys ever played yeah. this? Mm-hmm. It's just so gnarly. It's like there's it's a wave folder, right? It's a wave shaper. Yeah, pedal. there's just no pedal that sound that makes a guitar sound that gross, and I love it. <laughs> I've I play got the. It. Uh, it's not. It's not nearly as dirty, but the hoof. Oh, hoof I love one? the hoof one though. Yeah, the cool. hoof one's like a little more warm, and it has like a welcoming. Yeah, it's like a nicer. <laughs> it's it's like a more benign fuzz, and uh-huh, the Zvex yeah. is more like nasty and in your face. See, this mm. is why it sucks to be a keyboard player because when I talk about my they gear, make keyboard effects. it's like you go like this, and it switches from A to B, and I get to <laughs> use the words like gross and gnarly and honey and beef and bacon. <laughs> you just all gotta, guitar you just players start sound like putting your your Nord through some Zvex Fuzz Factory, and mm. then you true. can. Well, you, if you if you really want to be assaulted on the ears <laughs> you need to talk to drummers and how they describe their sticks and heads and cymbals and the sizzle and <laughs> the, fucking yeah. put me to sleep right away 
this. Uh, Danny is not here for it. I'm going to go to the bedroom and record my own podcast. <laughs> Audience of one. Um, so, what's it like to be in a band with your brothers? But we'll flip it this week and ask you because you work with your sister, who is an amazing director and a filmmaker and video director and maker. So, what is it like? Working. The reason we have this section is because that's literally all that we ever get Austin interviews. Ah, yeah. So it can be What's something like silly or it can be an actual yeah. uh, real answer to the question. Like, what has it been like working with your sister on, I mean, I don't even know how many, like uh, most, if not all of your music videos or good portion? Yeah, I think we've done like seven or something together at this point out of maybe like nine or something like that. She's definitely been involved in some way in any visual thing that I've done, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, I think it's just my, she just feels like an extension of my brain. I mean, we are both very visual and she has such an amazingly imaginative brain when it comes to conceptualizing what, um, the visual component to a song might be. And she's highly emotional and intuitive and very obviously like in the loop about everything that's going on in my life. And so she has a very unique take on what, um, kind of symbolism what might be appropriate for a music video. So I really, I really appreciated having her as a partner in crime about that stuff. And, um, we're even, she directs, but you know, we're in it together all the way from like conception to, um, costume planning to editing and color correcting and all that stuff. Like the last one that we did was, it was just a simple, Oh, actually. So I did two with her this year. One of them was a simple dance video. It was a one shot. And I, I recently started dancing over the past year and it's been so cathartic and, you know, it's been really inspiring to my music creativity to have this outlet that's nonverbal and mm -hmm. something that's a bit more evocative of emotion instead of outright saying, or outright describing it with words. So I did this video where I challenged myself to do a one shot. Um, it's just one dance the whole way through and I practiced it for months and we shot that. And then the second one that I did was a video for Global Citizen. Um, they had, there was an opportunity to create a music video that was about Asian American pride and it was going to be a 360 degree video. And so they had partnered with this 360 company who was interested in making more content with them. And it just ended up being a really ideal collaboration for me to help that help bring that to life and so we shot all over new york city we shot in times square and chinatown we got to go to the statue of liberty at 6 a.m oh cool we incorporated ch some chinese ribbon dancing with some modern like hip-hop moves and it was I'm, I'm really proud of how that went but she was but leanne was like a huge champion and, and facilitator of that whole process and it was just so nice to have her be around for that that must be i mean that's something i feel like we miss out on we have I guess we have visual elements, but there's, it's so nice having someone in your family to do something that's outside of your thing. Like I, we know that we can call on each other for the things that we can't do. The only thing that we are missing is a lawyer, lawyer, doctor, lawyer, or doc like a useful person. <laughs> but I, 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 how many? I wanted to just go quickly back to how many one shots did you take to get the one shot? Like how many takes did you do before oh, you were man. happy with one? I think it might have been like. 21 or something like Holy that. Holy shit. Yeah, it was a lot. I was really tired. Well, you recently, there's also, you just did another video or she helped do another video, right? The the parody? 
Yes. There's so this is the other we'll side of what I do. There, yeah. <laughs> so in addition to my own music, um, Leanne and I collaborate through her company, Global Citizen, um, which is a wonderful nonprofit dedicated to ending extreme global poverty by the year 2030. And they are super... Their aim is to raise awareness about progressive issues in a very lighthearted and funny and informative way and in a way that is appropriate to the internet age of 2017. And so we create like these meme style videos that end up being that are parodies of current pop songs, but they're about social issues. And so we've done one about food waste. It was Ed Sheeran's Shape of You, but instead of, I'm in love with the shape of you, it was, I don't love when you waste your food. <laughs> and it was my friend Josh like walking around this grocery store like twerking with bananas and stuff like that. <laughs> um, and then the first one that we did was... It was a parody of Hello by Adele, but it was about con- it was encouraging people to call their Congress people. And so I was like, hello, it's me. I was wondering if you had some time to support refugees. <laughs> That's a, a really clever have, way to do it, I yeah, think. Thank you. And some of them have actually gone viral. We did a... The last one went, definitely went viral. Um, I, this last I, one is at 200,000 views right now, but the ones that have gone viral are at like four or five million. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And the ones, that, the ones that have done the best are the, sh- the Waste Your Food, the hello one. And then we did a Bruno Mars parody of instead of, uh, that's what I like. That's what I like. Um, it was about women's rights. And so it was like, um, these are your rights. These are your rights. (laughs) But you you know that it's gone viral when it shows up in your social media feed. Like I've seen it show up, not from you posting. Are you serious? Oh yeah. yeah. What? Totally. I saw the, I saw the, the Taylor Swift one, which is look where. Whoa! Wait, what? Yeah, is, okay. What so is, the Taylor Swift one I just did, instead of "Look what you made me do," it's "Look where some people poo," and it's about <laughs> global sanitation and how there are more people in the world that have cell phones than functioning toilets. I've definitely I've saw that one and the Bruno Mars one. I, I that blows my mind. Yeah. Oh my god, that's amazing! I'm so glad that it's like being so effective in yeah, reaching in fact, people I, I know. I didn't do my research probably because I didn't realize Global Citizens was your sister's company yeah i just thought because i've seen so many of the videos shared by people on social media and it, I, it wasn't from you because i've seen them from multiple uh places because a lot of the times you're not in the video right no i'm never um, in them in the parodies right you're i write them, them but i'm not yeah. i, yeah, so I i'm not gonna impersonate taylor I, swift I, yeah <laughs> <laughs> wow that was so cool i didn't know i, th- I just assumed that you knew about him because we'll post, we'll post links to all this stuff up on congress.com slash podcast where you can see all the uh parodies such as look where people poo <laughs> yes <laughs> i noticed that we just uh, we announced that the the podcast because we record these a little bit before we put them out and uh there's some comments on our socials about the way that we say podcast and they spell it like wrong you know p-o-d-c-o-s-t that's how people are hearing <laughs> podcast. it so i think we may have to change to america and just say podcast 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 yeah, you're listening to Congos's podcast, <laughs> The Front Lounge. <laughs> well, so, the South African accent is a very interesting one because you say a lot of words with Amer- with American accents, but they're just a f- there's some like little tasty herrings that are that's like our accent. The proper South African accent does not sound Americanized at all. Oh, yeah, oh. talk like this, depending on where they're from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Cape your Thomas A's are all houses. long A's. It's like we dance. We, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. That, what was that Bumblebee song? Dance if you want to. 
Uh, you can dance. You can you dance want. if you want to. <laughs> Podcast if you want to. <laughs> so let's talk about something deep. Uh, I have I watched this documentary last night. This is our deep thoughts section, like whatever you. want I love to talk all these about. segments. There's the potato segment. There's the. They all devolve into <laughs> just talking shit, but we start off with lofty ideals. I watched, Has anyone seen this documentary? Uh, I think it's just called Mag Magnus. No. It's about this uh, Swedish or Norwegian child prodigy chess player. And it, it's just mind-boggling. Uh, I'm only halfway into it, but we'll post a link to it and uh, check it out. Uh, so I wanted to talk about like the, the idea of a child prodigy and what that implies. That like, you know, an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old can have such a depth of knowledge in any particular field that it just truly seems to be beyond any normal explanation. I mean, like this kid was, he would sit blindfolded and play 10 other players chess without a board, memorizing every move that everyone's making and win against proficient chess players. He, uh, I won't give it away and I can't even because I haven't even finished it. But basically by the time he was in his early 20s, like 20, he was like in the top ranks, you know, play, playing Kasparov and like the great grandmasters of all time. So, I mean, I, I, I have no idea, but I just thought we could talk about like what, what does it imply that an eight or a nine-year-old kid could have such a, un, a, a depth of knowledge? It just doesn't seem understandable, like how that occurs or what is, the, what is it? <laughs> what is it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> We're clearly not yeah. prodigies here. I guess if, if, you had to, if you had to put in perspective what a child has to learn, the normal things that a child, like, you know, to go from not walking and not being able to do anything and having no motor skills to what the average kid can do, it's a huge amount of learning and information, probably more so than the difference between a normal kid and some prodigy, as in if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Like the, the amount of information that a normal kid has to learn is this, is everybody just has to learn so much. But there's, a common everyone does learn most of those right, things. Because, like everyone yeah. does like if you try to describe in the mechanics of walking is infinitely complex, but everyone learns how to walk. Yeah. So I guess if you put a normal kid into this prodigy's circumstances, would you get the same results? Probably not. But no, because he has a fairly normal upbringing, and he's seems to be basically fairly normal. Like he's a nerd in a past adjust. life. Is that what you're saying? I don't know. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, he's reincarnated from. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Jess, maybe Jesse's got some thoughts because he's got a young uh, daughter, what nine months old, and you, you've been obviously. It's interesting for all of us, I'm sure, for you most. So just watching how a being learns things. Well, I've beaten her at chess once. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I don't know. You know, it, it's, I'm sure there are scientists who are studying it, but it, it, it raises the question of recurrent, you know, Danny made a joke about the last past life. Uh, I mean, wh- how is that kind of skill and knowledge stored in the brain? You know, is it genetics? Well, I guess it also it brings up the question, yeah, is where is it stored? Is it, and it, comes is is it local is it you know is it is it literally just in your brain or is there perhaps the idea that there is a consciousness that is non-local do you need the non-local thing to explain it i mean um, i'm personally open to non-local consciousness because i don't 
you know that just sounds appealing to me but <laughs> uh but even beyond before that like we don't even know the limits of what memory can be contained in genetics obviously and then that's just the proteome which is the protein encoding of which modulates cell behavior so there's the glycome and there's a lipid version of that these are all these are all things apparently the sugar the glycome modulates cell behavior more than the proteome and i'd never even heard of the glycome Oh, I don't even know what that means, but <laughs> but but the point is, yeah, this shit is complicated. Like, there's a shitload of information in a single cell because you come from two cells and then you turn into this fucking thing. You know, <laughs> I, so I yeah, I don't understand where the yeah, information no, this, comes this, from. When I when I saw this, I wasn't expecting us to have any answers. I just thought it was really interesting, and it, you know, we've all seen them. Well, that like, guy, more uh, that guy who was just on Duncan Trussell. Who was that guy? Was, his whole thing is he's kind of. He's a bit. Of, he's viewed as some as pseudoscientific, but I'm not in a position to even have an opinion about that. But he was talking about uh, morphic resonance, which is this idea: the memory contained across nature, right, uh, uh, and across time. And maybe, maybe you can uh, have some sort of inherent skill because of some, you know, evolutionary memory. I don't know. I don't know. You know. It's it clearly it's these kind of extreme anomalies that make us think about this and ask these questions. But you know, if somebody has a family tradition for ten generations of doing something, usually by the tenth generation, you know, you're you're born with a propensity to, or at least a a, um, a greater ability to do that. So, is that just environmental, though? I don't. I don't think it's just environment. I mean, this yeah, look. This is this is four guys and and a girl <laughs> waiting for Charlene to weigh in, um, basically saying our opinions with no real scientific knowledge, you know, <laughs> other than some YouTube research and the occasional. I read Wikipedia. You know, I read the first synopsis part of the paragraph, and then I go and talk about it in well, depth with people. But well, here's my question: Is how do we stop these kids? <laughs> Because I'm sick and tired of being disappointed in myself every time I go on YouTube and see some kid that's like yeah, four years was, old playing better piano than that's me. That's what I was talking to Dylan about. When was the last time you were good at something for your age? Like, <laughs> fucking hell, that ended quick, didn't it? <laughs> Do you guys watch Black Mirror? Yeah. yeah so I've seen a few episodes. I've seen the one where they rate people and stuff like that. <laughs> it's like Instagram um, for real life. Or, no, I was like, thinking Yelp. of the one where they... That guy, they, they like implant a chip in your brain where every single interaction you have is recorded. So oh, yeah. cr- it makes crime really interesting because you can't really lie in under oath anymore because they just take your chip and replay back whatever day it was that you did that. And so honestly, I feel like with Google Glass and like there's there are going to be more and more like the the like ear the bluetooth earpieces that we already mm. use are going to get smaller and smaller like maybe that dude had a little earpiece of someone <laughs> someone and who his dad's like rook to c4 yeah. <laughs> right well then his dad's a fucking genius <laughs> but no yeah i think yeah con. definitely well i do remember that um this sounds legitimate but that that guy um that illusionist on bbc that british guy when he played the nine grandmasters and he set up a circular 
Poth when that he's playing them, but he had them play each other because he has memory techniques to remember their moves, and he fooled them. Um, But yeah, I don't think that's what's going on here. There's obviously prodigies and obviously kind of um, yeah special people, but uh, I can't. I don't even know how to begin to know how somebody comes out that way. Yeah, I mean, look, there's it's in all fields because you go watch videos of uh, Michael Jackson as a kid is a different thing and maybe not quite to the extreme but as uh, stevie wonder like those videos of stevie wonder yeah, as a yeah. kid are just fucking insane i think you you get you before even getting into you know whether nature has a memory and whether at what level information is encoded and all that kind of stuff and uh, uh, how long it can uh, influence uh, life forms and all that before you even get to that you can just start with not underestimate underestimating kids they yeah. that that's a common you know, I, American adults talk to kids like they're these idiots, and kids <laughs> just learn everything. Obviously, so mm-hmm. uh, I think it's it's a very it can be made a much more simple question. Even is how does anyone become what they are in any capacity? Not necessarily even a prodigy, because that's just an anomaly of some type of intellect or intuition or whatever. But what makes a person the way they are because it seems like people are coming to earth with some uh, predispositions, whether that's genetic or recurrence or reincarnation or it's environment or whatever it is. But there seems to be a point at which you enter the world and you've already come to the world with some type of, whether it's baggage or it's um, propensities. And that's as a mysterious of a question as even the prodigy, you know, how they became that. Yeah, I mean, the way he described playing chess was he, he said it was all, he has an intuition about a move. It was the words he was using from a very young age to describe it. He didn't go through all the, what seemed to be like these kind of chess factories where, mm-hmm. you know, kids are taught to become brilliant chess players. Because obviously you can teach, you can become a brilliant chess player up to a certain level. Mm-hmm. He had a completely different approach where what we were talking about the other day, like the synesthesia thing where he's visualizing patterns or sensing them perhaps in a different way or there's a different connection being made between different parts of his brain. I don't know, anyway, watch the documentary. It's yeah. pretty fucking interesting. And, uh, What's it called again? Like that movie Searching for Bobby Fischer. But I don't know if I've seen it or if I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah. It's called it? Magnus. It's called Magnus. It's on, it's what, on Netflix. On Netflix uh, it's about an yeah. old kid prodigy cover band. <laughs> <laughs> they, they play Firestarter. Fire Fire yeah. <laughs> All right, so you guys have been listening to The Front Lounge with Congos. Our guest is Charlene Kay, and we're going to throw up all those links we talked about and all have the links. Have you got any shows you. coming up? I don't have any solo shows coming up at the moment, and Sam Fermin is done touring for the year, but Guns N' Hoses is playing at the Moroccan Lounge on January 19th, and all y'all should come. Is that here in L.A.? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. All yeah. right. We'll be there, and maybe even Slash will be there. <laughs> oh, God. I would love that. Slash, if you're listening, you are always VIP, baby. <laughs> All right, so we'll throw up all of Charlene's links as well, her Instagram and Twitter. In fact, why don't you just throw those out there now in case someone doesn't sure. take the time. Sure, it's at Charlene K for everything. And that's K-A-Y-E. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thank you, Charlene. Thanks, guys. See you guys, guys next week. F-L-W-K. Thank- Out. Kane Ghost. <laughs>